Hey guys, I'm Esther, owner of Sarah Design. And I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community and covering industry secrets and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. I am honored to be sitting here with Adrian Johnson. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. Yeah, so Adrian is a presentation designer and I am personally so excited to dive into more of what that looks like in your day-to-day life just because, you know, like we come from the brand and the website design world and Here and there, I've been asked to design PowerPoint presentations, and it's just not my strong suit. I do not understand how PowerPoint works in terms of design, and it just takes so long. But that's your skill set, so I'm excited to chat about it. Yeah, it 100% is, and it's definitely its own beast. Yes. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and read your bio so that we can all of our audience members can learn more about your background, and then we'll do our roses and thorns. Adrian Johnson is a presentation designer who specializes in helping clients visualize their content in PowerPoint for the purpose of landing new clients, educating existing internal or external clients, or securing investment capital. Adrian's clients include Meta, Microsoft, Samsung, and Marriott. Additionally, Adrian coaches other presentation designers on building their successful presentation design business. She currently resides in Seattle, Washington with her husband, daughter, and their two cats. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Okay, so let's dive into our roses and thorns. We were just talking about how it's kind of hard to think of something bad, even though like I feel there's all these little things that pop up throughout the week that I'm always like messaging Esther about, like, oh, this like this happened, such a bummer. But then when I'm asked to talk about something bad, I'm like, honestly, things are really good. Like I'm so such a positive like person. So I'll let you go first and then I'll go after you. So you can start with your thorn or your rose. Either way works great. Yeah, as positive people, let's start with our rose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I had a client um, who had been a client since I started my business. And I would say they were you know, in my top five clients every year, probably billing around $25,000 a year. And uh, they hired a new creative director at the end of 2021. And I didn't hear from them in 2022. I think their billings was like $700 or something. And it didn't impact my business. It didn't hurt it, but it was one of those things where I was like, Ooh, you know, like, did I do something wrong? Or is it just this new person bought their own presentation designer with them, which happens sometimes. And I, you know, get taken too as people go to new companies, they introduce me to new, new venues. So they came back though. The VP, who was the one who'd originally hired me years and years ago, came back and asked for some work. And so I've been, I've already built them. <laughs> $20,000 this year. It's February. Amazing. So, That's awesome. Yeah, it was one of those so things that's like super validating. Yeah. I, I honestly didn't ask. I just, they had a lot going yeah. on. They went public and did some other things. And I okay. think that they, they brought their own person and maybe that wasn't working out. Maybe not timely enough. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, it's nice to be kind of back in the fold. and Yeah, that's a good thing when someone likes you enough and enjoys your services that even after a long break, they remember you and want to work with you again. Yeah, 100%. And I always tell people, I mean, there's so much, so many things happening in a company that you have to not take it personally when things are happening, right? Sometimes it is you, sometimes it's not you, but like you can't internalize that. 
And so it felt really good. <laughs> it was so validating yeah. to be clear <laughs> that they came yeah. back. Oh, of course. I mean, I feel like even when I have a proposal that's ghosted or a lead that just never books a call after they inquire, it's like, oh, what did I say? What did I do? But like most of the time, you know, and I've started asking, hey, could you guys give me, you know, any type of insight into what went into your decision either way? It just helps me serve my clients and potential clients better in the future. Most of the time people are like, oh, you know what? Something came up in our family finances and it's just not going to be like the best investment for us right now. And so it's like, oh, okay. Like most of the time you're like, oh, you're great. Like I really enjoy it. Like I want to work with you. I know I want to work with you at some point. It just now is not the right time. And so it's just, I don't know. Makes me feel good. And then sometimes people are like, yeah, I found another designer that I liked better. And like, honestly, I appreciate them saying that because I'm like, okay, well, that is a good thing. Like, I don't want to be the perfect fit for every single person that comes my way. That means my positioning isn't clear enough. So just a little tidbit. hundred percent. So what's your thorn? And then as a relates to thorns as kind of the classic designer debacle, which is, um, I've had a client who I've had, again, another longstanding relationship with. And we, I don't know, every six months we have to have a talk about boundaries and fire drills and all of that. And, and it's come up, it's time again, uh, because oh, on no. Friday I was supposed to have like an hour of work and I just gotten home from seeing my family and was kind of tired. And so I booked low on purpose and I was supposed to only have uh, an hour to work on Friday morning and I got a phone call and it was, oh, we're going out internationally and we need this deck. Things that, I mean, obviously you don't buy an international ticket today for a flight tomorrow. So like you knew you just didn't prioritize it to tell me. So now it's my fire drill and it kind of bled into yesterday too. So I feel like I'm not as far on the other things as I want to. So, and I just, it's so relatable, right? Like, yeah. Especially when you're somebody who wants, you're a helper, you want to help people and you're like, I'll figure it out. But it just, you're the one that bears all of that chaos. Yeah. And like your free time and your family and your other clients and all that. Yeah. I definitely struggle. I always call myself a recovering people pleaser and I struggle with wanting to break the rules for my clients to make them feel seen and respected. But you're right. It's tough when you know the source of that issue is nothing to do with you. It's just that the client didn't reach out soon enough and expected a certain timeline out of you that you want to be able to honor and you say yes to, but it's just not ideal. So that's a good thorn and super relatable. You're right. So I would love to share my rose for this week. I signed on two new clients, which is very exciting just because January, it wasn't a slow month for inquiries, but it was a slow month for bookings, which is abnormal for January typically for me. But I've kind of allowed myself to not compare my months to my previous months and my seasons to previous seasons. Like this summer could go gangbusters or it could be crickets. Like last fall was crazy for me. This fall could look completely different and that's okay. And it doesn't have anything to do with me usually. Like if I hop off the marketing train and don't post at all and I'm not active, then yes, like that, my inquiries might have, you know, might be impacted by that. But um, yeah, so I did not have any. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen this, but I feel like since the pandemic, yeah, seasonality is unpredictable. Yeah. We're used to say January was a busy month and the fall would be busy and summer would be slow and right at Christmas would be slow. Like that's all out the window anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I can predict anything at all. I know. And it's, you know, I I used to be able to say, oh, well, it's it's slower during the summer because clients are traveling. But like 
there could be clients that want to have launches for the holiday season and they are being smart and reaching out during the summertime to get that stuff like, you know, ready. So I don't know. I I don't put any stock into the season and I just allow things to come as they they do. And I I put energy into things that I can control, like my marketing content calendar, my um, targeted engagement strategies, um, my network, pouring into other designers with this podcast. And I kind of have learned to let go a little bit to more of those things that I really don't have control over, like referrals, like cold inquiries, finding me from Google or Instagram and just, you know, like, because you drive yourself crazy if you try to control things that you just can't. And so that's kind of like, that's kind of my new thing for this year. It's, it's chill. It's chill vibes. I like it. <laughs> so anyways, I did not book any new projects in January, which is rare. Typically I'll book a couple projects per month and get a couple of those deposits. And those deposits will contribute to that monthly income. January still was a great month for me financially, but it was like, it was weird. I was like, oh, I haven't like booked a new project. And I was like, starting to feel like, oh, is it me? Am I doing something? But then I had a couple inquiries come through and a couple people like, yes, I want to work with you. People saying yes to my standard rates, you know, wanting to go with the more full service experience, more high ticket projects. And I am really excited that they are totally okay with waiting until starting at the end of Q1, beginning of Q2, just because I have been blessed to be pretty booked up right now. And I've been really trying to not overbook myself, which is definitely one of my toxic traits. Um, and so I feel really proud about that. So although it was a slow month for bookings in January, it almost was like, I'm almost grateful in a way because I was not like pressured or like pressured by clients or by myself to want to book projects in to push my boundaries, especially as I'm walking through this new group program that I'm doing and wanting to pour into those relationships, make sure that like all the content is in tip top shape for that. So that was a great win for me this week. That's fantastic. Thank you. And my thorn, you are totally going to laugh, but I thought I sent out a creative direction to a client last Tuesday and I wanted her feedback by the end of the day, the next day, because it was an intensive style. And I didn't hear back and I didn't hear back. And I know that she's busy. So I was like, maybe I'll just give her some grace. Like she's got other stuff going on in her life, like whatever. And so it was on my list to follow up with her yesterday, which is a Monday. And I realized I had never sent the creative direction to her at all. And she was waiting on it. I mean, she never emailed me. Like I was fixing to sit down and be like, hello, client. Just wanted to pop in to see if you had any questions on your creative direction. And then it's literally the email draft is just sitting there unsent, ready to go. And all I had to do was click send. So I, I sent it and I was like, I thank you so much for your patience on this. I've been saying that more than like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, because it just feels like more professional and it like, I don't know, just smooths things over a little, like a little bit. And thank you so much for your patience. This was sitting in my draft. I had thought I had sent it last week. I'm going to shift our timeline forward, but I don't think this is going to impact our lunch at all. And then we had to reschedule a call today to account for that. But she was really cool about it. Thank God for really nice, flexible clients because things like that happen. So if anyone out there listening has like totally goofed up and like not sent something to someone or missed a deadline, like it happens. 
It certainly does. And I've done that too, especially where it's just sitting in draft and you're like, I know I typed it. I remember going through the motions. So the fact that I never hit send. Yeah. Totally blew me away. I know. And I I even checked it off on my to-do list. And usually I do not check something off unless it has been sent. Like the email has been written and it has been sent. And the last thing I do after I do something like that is I go and check it off my to-do list. So I know that like it's done because I'm so excited to check it off, you know? So it's just, it's a thing. So all is well for now. (laughs) Okay. I am so excited to dive into our conversation. And I feel like this topic in like specifically is one that we get asked about probably most often by our audience. I went through our inbox questions to kind of bake some of those into the conversation today. And there were so many questions about marketing and lead generation. And that's definitely one of the biggest things that the mini minders in my group program, the design mini mind are interested in learning about um, and something that I'm really passionate about as well. And so I'm so excited to pick your brain for a little bit and have you share your strategies and your tips with our audience on all things generating the right type of leads for your business. The key word there being the right type of leads. But before we get into that, I would love to just know more about your journey, what being a presentation designer is like, what made you choose this, what do you love about it? Just go ahead and lay it all down for me. Sure. So I think my story is probably pretty common. I was in a full-time job doing marketing and operations um, for startup and small businesses locally. And I was really, um, my daughter was four or five years old and it was starting to get to that point where I really kind of started questioning my priorities. I was working really long hours. I was making good money, um, but I was working really long hours and I was just wasn't happy. And, you know, throughout my career, I could just brute force it. Like if I learn more, do more, figure out more, like I can just figure this out. And I, for the first time was in an environment, um, it was a financial services company. I just, I don't think I was ever going to make it work. (laughs) It took three years in that role to stop and suddenly go, this isn't something you can fix. This just isn't the right place for you. And so I went to my bosses and I said, Hey, like, I'm not happy. I need to figure something else out. And we put together a four month transition plan. And I, at the time thought, you know, full-time job as an introvert. And I'm a super introvert, a talker, <laughs> but an introvert. You don't come across as an introvert to me though. I mean, maybe I just oh don't gosh, have a good I understanding. Would stay in my cave. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm a talker. I just, I don't need to be around other people. And so like, if left to my own devices, I would stay at home and be perfectly content by myself. <laughs> so, and I, you know, that was another thing too, I think that was over time, especially after you have kids, you don't really ever get downtime anymore. And so being in an office environment that is draining and there is no recharge period once you come home, I think that was another part that it all just kind of started to build up that I couldn't compensate for it anymore. Uh, But I thought, you know, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not a marketing person. I mean, I'm in marketing, but I'm not a go out and get leads, meet new people because I'm such an introvert. (laughs) I couldn't run my own business. Like it was never even something that I thought I could do. And so I was looking for full-time jobs and nothing was panning out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I had a four-month runway. Like I want to be contributing to our income. Like we'd be okay if I wasn't, but like, that's not who I am. That's not what I want. And so I said, I'm going to go on Upwork and just, everybody's always talking about it. Let me see what I can do. And it was actually a really cool place for me as an introvert, because it is, you're able to come from that like lace servant spirit. Like I can, you have a problem and I'm not bothering you. You're telling me you have a problem and I can help. And so I got an Upwork and just started doing design stuff 
incidentally, my very first project, and it still took months to see, my first project was a presentation. You know, I'd been in marketing and operations roles, and so I was using PowerPoint in the corporate world, like turning those things out all the time. Like we had these big screens in our office, and I built them all on PowerPoints that just kind of run on auto. It just, I was familiar with it. You know, it was so easy for me that it never occurred to me um, that that was a unique skill set. It most so definitely I is. I can tell started, you from my own personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one that I do not have. So I have a great respect for you and, and your uh, your expertise for sure. That's funny. My background, so I was all over the place, but I was a chemistry major in college. And so I always say I should have known better when I spent more time worrying about how my lab reports looked. Mm. I was so comfortable <laughs> with PowerPoint because I'd always had to use yeah. it. And like my whole career and, and even in undergrad. So that was very comfortable, but I was doing everything. I was building websites, logos, changing. Like <laughs> my favorite was, uh, there was a client that had like, they were a curtain company. And so they had like images they'd taken of their white drapes, but then they want to put like all the fabric swatches on them. So doing those mock-ups and it was one of those things that was like $500. I had to have spent a couple of weeks on that thing, you know, like, and so I realized I was about three months in on Upwork. And things were going well, right? Like I was getting work, but I wasn't making as much money. I was making $5,000 a week, a month, a week. That would have been nice. $5,000 a month, but I was probably still working like 80 hours a week. So like I had the benefits of working from home and having that control, but I wasn't financially where I wanted to be. So there was a gap. And I just sat down and I was like, what's working and what's not, right? Like, what do I do fast? What do I know how to do that's not taking me time and research? Like all the web design, all the Photoshop and automations and all that kind of stuff. It just took time for me to research and like figure it out. And the PowerPoint presentations, I was winning so many of them because again, I didn't realize it was a unique skill set that I had. Other people didn't want to do it. So I was able to win them. I was able to do them easily and they had higher budgets. I mean, people were paying as much for presentations as they were paying for websites, wow. but I was spending a fraction of the time on it. That's amazing. So you're like, there's something yeah. here, but it was super scary to be like, I'm just going to do this one thing, (laughs) but I did, I did. Um, And that kind of gets into the lead generation piece. I mean, there are people making multi six figures on Upwork as presentation designers. Wow. I didn't see a path for me in it. It's more of a volume-based business then, which isn't necessarily where I wanted to be. Yeah. And so I said, you know, I, as an introvert, I got to figure this out. Like I'm not going to go out and get leads. So I have to find some way for them to come to me and find me. And I did a Google search and I was like, who, what are other presentation designers doing? Like, I just want to go see their marketing. And I got to the search results page and I was like, these must be like the creme de la creme of presentation designers here, right? Because Google put them on the first page. Yeah, Google is all And knowing. I started like, digging <laughs> into it. And <laughs> clearly, <laughs> they're, every year they get oh better, but you're still just like, um. <laughs> so I like started digging into it. And some of these pages weren't even presentation design companies but they had like a keyword on there. And so they were ranking on this. I was like, oh, I can do this better. (laughs) And so I took a course and I figured out SEO. Uh, That was April of 2018. And by June, July of 2018, I'd started to get leads through that web form. And gosh, I wish we could go back and look at my hideous site too. I should have taken screenshots of it. You know, at the time, you don't (laughs) think to do that stuff. You're like, it was hideous. But it converted. And so like I got a lot of really big clients that first year just from SEO. Wow. So by that July, I started getting clients, but it was still like 
my revenue was even lower than the 5,000. It was averaging around two and a half because I said, I'm only doing presentation design and I'm only doing it at $100 an hour. And so I did all of that. And then I got to September and a lot of those like leads, like we talk about, right? Like you just don't know how long some people have long lead times. Some people don't. Everything kind of started to build up. And by that September of 2018, so just nine full months into my business, I hit my first $10,000 month, which was huge, right? Like, it was just like, I can remember like... That's a huge milestone. The relief of like, okay, yeah, like I figured this out and I figured it out relatively quickly in the grand scheme of things and in a way that worked for me. I mean, there was still lots of tweaking and I still say like, I'm always having to like, I don't mean to, but like I am a have very fluid boundaries. Like they're solid, but I allow them to be fluid. Yes. Like the mm-hmm. client where it's like, oh yeah, we have an, a rush project. I just want to help. And it's somebody I've known for a really long time. I'm like, you should have known better and we'll have a talk about it later. But for right now, let's put out the fire. Yeah. You know? So that's one of those things, like I'm always kind of having to like dial back in. Um, and I'm, I am getting better about not letting those slip as much. So there's progress. Yeah, wow. But that's kind of like the overall. And then it's just been really continuing to refine over the last four and a half years. That's amazing. I love your story so much. And it feels like presentation design kind of found you. And I I feel like it's a similar story to me and Esther, where we enjoyed doing all types of design. She worked in corporate and marketing. And um, I was doing just freelance design, similar to what you were doing with Upwork. And then I was just like, wait, there are things called brand designers. Like that's, that's a thing. Like that's, that's a specialty that I can have. And then it just felt right. And I just pursued that and went with it, eventually adding web design services as well. But I'm curious, going off a little of our script, what was your experience with Upwork like? And do you recommend it to designers who are looking to break into that niche? Yes. So I really like Upwork. I know a lot of people feel like it's a rush to the bottom and you know, you're competing with people who are international, maybe don't have as high a cost of living. And so you're competing based on price. But there are people who are, aren't searching for designers based on price. I've had someone, my hourly rate on Upwork is $200 an hour. And I've had someone go and just, and this was a one-time thing, but still someone went and hired me without ever talking to me, just sent me a contract. And it's been three years and she's still a client now. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, there are great things there. I only have one client left on Upwork. I just get so many leads through my own website. I don't really need to focus on it anymore, but I highly recommend it for people who are just getting started out because to your point, there are all the job opportunities there. You can just kind of pick and choose. And even with, I don't know that I would have ever picked presentation design if I just kind of hadn't fallen into that, right? And had that experience of like what's working and what's not. And I think Upwork is a really low stakes way to go test your business. You don't need to build a website. You don't, you could go get started on Upwork today. Yeah. And my recommendation for people who are just starting is you're competing with people who have social proof on the platform. If you don't have that when you're just getting started, you want to go for clients that have low budgets and they need something quickly. And you know that like this isn't going to be how you build your business, but you're making an investment in this platform and in securing a couple of reviews. So I, I look at it as an investment in that platform. I think like anything else, you should diversify <laughs> and not rely on any yes. one thing. I know a lot of people, um, Upwork made some changes in the fall of 2022. A lot of people have been saying like, hey, even though I had an established portfolio and reviews, it's been harder to get clients. They're putting in more bids per, I think it's something like from one in five to like one in 10 
they're actually getting those jobs. So it's a little bit more legwork up front. It looks like this is pure speculation on my part. From what I've heard and what I understand is that Upwork has been prioritizing people whose bids have like are the paid bids over people who aren't. And so you really kind of have to be a subscriber now to their bids. Oh, okay. Is that like on the client side, like the client who like they spend a bid or you as the designer spend a bid on? You spend a bid when you submit your proposal. Okay, so you have to pay them. And then also when you book the project, they're taking a cut as well, which is their business model. Okay. Yeah. I love your advice that it, it sounds like Oh no, you're, you're totally fine. I, I was just saying like, I love your advice that it sounds like a good place to start and to invest in those projects where you're really just trying to get testimonials and get that social proof. That is a very similar thing to what I recommend for brand and web designers is that like, yes, creative trades, you're not making money on them, but you are getting a connection. Potentially you're getting a website footer credit you're getting hopefully a positive testimonial that is going to help you in the future. So it's kind of like you're investing now for that growth later on down the line. So hundred percent. And as much as people, you know, get frustrated by Upwork's the percentage of like commission that they keep, they are doing all of your sales and marketing, right? Like they're, they're making that investment up front. Yeah. So for you to go in, it's risk-free. You're not having to pay to host a website, build a website, run ads or anything you're only paying if you actually get that client. And so for you, it never take, costs mm-hmm. you anything out of pocket and there's very low risk. So I do highly recommend it for that reason as well. That's awesome. That was a great answer. So let's dive into talking about this shift that you made when you were trying to move away from getting leads on Upwork or you know generating leads in that way to being able to generate your own leads and take a little bit more control over that. And you mentioned SEO. So I am very curious about this because SEO is definitely something that I talk about with my clients when it comes to website design, but I'm very upfront with them that I am not an SEO specialist. And I actually refer them to people who do that full-time to be able to do audits on their site, to look at keywords, to think about blogging, to think about alt tags and making sure your images are the right size and site speed and all of that. How did you like parse through all of the information out there? I mean, and we, when we ultimately know that Google is going to do what Google does and there's things you can optimize, but it's just, it's not like a solid, I feel like it's not a solid thing. And so maybe I could be completely wrong here, but I am just so curious to hear about what that transition was like for you. Absolutely. So it's, you're hundred percent right. You know, and there was probably some naivete there as well on, on my part, right? So I went into it and I said, you know, when I did the Google search and I... But that's how you like start though. You yeah. don't know what you don't know. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I think there's a little bit of a lie. No, yeah, like you don't know what you don't know when you start out. There's so many things that I would not have done had I known better that I'm grateful that I did in the beginning. <laughs> so... 100%. Yeah, so I, I did that search and I saw that... So I searched freelance presentation designer and I saw all these results and I just kind of started digging into them and looking at their site markup. So you just I right click and then do inspect and I can see roughly how they've laid out their page and, and done the on-page optimization. And again, some, some of them didn't even have freelance presentation design on the page. So there was clearly a gap in this bit of the market, right? Like Upwork was, was filling it, but not necessarily with great content. So there was a huge opportunity there. I um, took Mike Pearson's Stupid Simple SEO course. So it's 
for bloggers, it ended up being far more robust than I needed, right? Like his training is all about like building these niche sites and blog sites that are generating millions of views and traffic and tens of thousands of dollars in revenue a month from ad revenue. That's not what I was trying to do, but it still kind of laid the foundation for me of all the things, site speed, optimization, your alt tags, all of it, right? But the other thing that it really helped me do was the keyword analysis of what do you really want to be targeting? I didn't need millions of views. In fact, I don't even want to target those keywords. One, because they tend to not have the same buyer intent, right? If someone's searching presentation design, they could be looking for how to become a presentation designer. What does presentation design mean? How do I build a presentation? It's a very broad term that gets lots of searches, but freelance presentation designer is for the most part, people searching to hire a freelance presentation designer. So I um, knew that like I had to go after that type of keyword. So I did all the keyword research and freelance presentation designer did end up being the one I went after. It was a keyword difficulty of one out of a hundred. <laughs> so super low competition. Wow. And it was getting like a hundred. Can you tell me more about what that means in terms of keyword difficulty? Yeah. So they, there are sites that do all these metrics on keywords, um, AREFs, um, what are the other, SEM rush, those, um, Uber suggest. Oh, I'm familiar with Uber suggest. Yeah. yeah. So they all have their own ranking system that just kind of says, Hey, how difficult is it to rank on a scale of zero to a hundred for a particular keyword? So a keyword like, like some kind of car sales or something like that, right? Like that's got high buyer intent and high volume is going to be way more difficult because there are more people trying to rank for that keyword versus almost nobody was trying to rank for freelance presentation designer. So it was an easy keyword to rank for, which is why the search results were so bad because there was no, there wasn't anything. So they were just filling it up with what they found that roughly fit the criteria. So I looked at that and then I looked at the search volume and the search volume was 150 a month. And so if you think about that, right, people go out and search, but only 50% of them, let's say, will click through the top three results and then you're going to have your conversion on your sales page. So 150 might be 75 people actually clicking on your site, but then only 20% of those, what is that? Let's say 15 would go through and actually submit a lead form. Like 15 leads a week. Can you imagine having that's without doing anything? Like that's a lot of leads. <laughs> so when you start yeah. thinking about that math, you're like, you don't need to be getting millions of page views. You don't need, and you can rank so much faster for those search terms that are low difficulty and lower volume and you fit right in. And so what I think is so fascinating about the whole thing is that it's exactly the people who are looking for me. But I always say too, like I'm attracting people like me because what did I do when I wanted an answer? I didn't go on LinkedIn and ask people. I went and I did a search. <laughs> search. I'm going to solve my own problems as an introvert. Yeah. Right? I don't need to engage with other people unless absolutely yeah. necessary. And that's my clients. They're not asking for referrals for the most part. They're going to a website and they're searching for their own problem. And so I'm not attracting for the most part, like salespeople, people with big networks, people that want to get on the phone and talk all the time. I'm, a, I'm attracting people who are like me. And so it's really very perfect for my business, you know? That's fantastic. I mean, I think that it's really important that you are thinking about their intent to buy, but then also what their mind space is like when they go and input that search term. Because like we go to Google for specific things, but like, you know, you're so right. I didn't even think about that. Like someone searching for like, let's say colorful brand designer 
or interior design or something. That's like hopefully a keyword. Well, not a keyword. That's like a phrase that like I might rank for. Obviously, I don't know anything about SEO. So the type of person that's going to search that into Google versus asking for their friends or colleagues or network for a referral is a different type of person than that referral person. So you are getting into the psychology of your ideal buyer, which is fantastic. So just wanted to call that out. And just to be clear, that was not a vision I had five years ago. <laughs> it is a realization <laughs> I have had since. You were doing it like just organically though, like just yeah. internally you you were pursuing that. You're like, how would I solve this problem if I was searching for myself? This is what I would do. And so you are obviously attracting people who are like you, but you didn't even realize you were doing it at the time. So that's like the most amazing accidental win ever. Exactly. 100%. Okay. So I have a bunch of questions about specifically generating leads who are willing to pay high ticket prices and not all projects are high ticket. I like using the phrase high value because even a low ticket project can be very valuable if you're doing it in a certain structure, VIP day intensive, et cetera. Um, we have an inbox question from Jackie Antresian. Um, and I thought it was really relevant here and I would love to kind of take the conversation in this direction. She says, I'm always curious about graduating to bigger clients who can take on more ambitious projects and not living off of small projects that feel good enough for the client. And so a kind of follow-up question to that would be, what strategies do you recommend to designers who struggle with generating non-referral and high-value leads in their businesses? Like, and especially in terms of, of SEO, how, how do you position yourself or target those types of people who are willing and looking to pay premium rates to work with a designer that they really trust and that they know is going to get the job done right. 100%. So I think, you know, another part of kind of my SEO strategy was what I call authority, right? When people find you, how do they perceive that you're the expert? And you have to tell them you're the expert as uncomfortable as that is. And so like (laughs) the first iteration of my website said like, and I think actually, if you go and look, my site title actually says like something like presentation design expert. I really struggle with that. Like, are we ever an expert at anything? Like I probably am. I probably know a lot more than most people, but like, at what point are you really an expert? I don't know. I, but I branded myself that, um, I think, you know, I intentionally created a blog. So in that period when I said, Hey, I don't really have a lot of work right now, but I know what I'm going to do. And it's only going to be this and everything else is an investment into this authority, right. Into my SEO. I started writing blog posts. Um, I was working on updating my portfolio and kind of continuing to tweak that. I know it's like, the never ending. <laughs> I was laughing. Uh, I was just listening oh, yeah. to an episode of the podcast the other day and you guys were talking about updating your website all the time. And I started to laugh because it's like, it's, you're never done. Right. And every time you see somebody else, no, you're like, never. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I can make my I'm already better. planning a big relaunch for the fall. <laughs> I was on Webflow. I moved to show it. I'm moving from show it back to Webflow because I'm a crazy person, but <laughs> relatable. All oh, the good news is Webflow is really good for SEO. So we can yes, talk about that my later. husband's been telling me all about that. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like Webflow, Webflow is giving WordPress a run for its money. WordPress is still, I think, going to be the platform of choice, especially for much larger firms, especially for people using Woo. But I feel like Webflow like is so powerful. And my husband has been showing me the amazing things that you can do with GSOP, um, like, which is a specific JS library um, that allows you to do scroll-based animations, that beautiful buttery scroll. 
um, beautiful hover animations, timeline-based animations, um, animating SVGs and stuff like that. There's just so much more you can do in that platform that you can't show it. And so that's something that I'm considering. But anyways, that's totally off off topic. (laughs) So yeah, I think, you know, you have to position yourself in a way that demonstrates your authority. I think that's partly your branding. You know, I really struggled. If you go look at my site, it's like all mint and flowery and pretty. And my husband was like, is this really the right branding? And I was like, you know, I really enjoy working with women. I really like this branding. Do I think it's like super high tech? Do I think it's going to attract a lot of corporate men? No, but that's not necessarily who I want to work with either. I think that the VPs and marketing at these companies are going to be like, Ooh, I love it. You know, it doesn't have to look like our branding. It doesn't have to be corporate or stuffy. That was going to be one of my questions for you is, is, is your, the majority of your clientele very, very corporate, like style wise, or do you get to have some more like fun, like not that corporate can't be fun. I'm totally like (laughs) saying like, oh, they're two separate things, but (laughs) they kind of are. (laughs) They kind of are. (laughs) You're like, no, it's fine. (laughs) And it's funny because that's, um, yeah, that is most of the work I do. And that's actually, I would say the work that I'm best at is that kind of like, minimal corporate vibe. I love beautiful designs and think it takes me so much longer to do. I'm always like, Ooh, does this look right? Like I see other people's work, like with the layers and the backdrops and all the like great accent pieces. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I could do that. But I just never feel it never feels balanced. So it's not my natural style. That's my point. And I feel like people might be willing to pay more for that corporate look, that simple corporate look. They have better budgets. I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm actually curious. Like, do they, I was going to ask, do those corporate, like, I mean, you said like you're charging probably in the, I mean, in the thousands for presentations, like that's fantastic. Like, I mean, just, just out of curiosity on average, what would you say one of those corporate presentations like would, would cost? Uh, It's only going to depend on the size of the deck, but you're looking at somewhere around $2,000 typically for a 20 slide deck. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they're not. I mean, that's fantastic. They're not cheap, but they're they're impactful. I mean, you're pitching something to someone and they might win a contract or something, you know? A hundred percent. So one of the things that I discovered about presentation design that I found so interesting is because it is so closely tied to pitch decks, marketing decks, it's tied to revenue. There are dollars yeah. earmarked to invest in that piece in order to secure that new revenue. And yeah. I find that like I said, you know, people were spending as much on presentations as they were on websites. And for many people like startups and things, the very first thing they will ever build is a presentation deck, a pitch deck to go out and secure funds before they ever build a yeah, website funding. or get a logo or do any branding. Wow. And then who are they going to come to when they need to have those needs down the line? Do you offer brand and web design services or do you have referral partnerships? I don't, but I have um, another presentation designer I know who does all that. And so I always refer those to him. Okay, perfect. So you're able to like just refer those out. That's that's fantastic. You are really like gung-ho for your niche. And like that makes me so happy to, to see that specific positioning. So beyond your positioning, beyond like elevating your website and your brand, you know, as brand designers, like usually those are things we're thinking about, always updating our website and stuff like that. Um, is there anything in terms of copy and keywords that you found has helped you maybe establish more authority or maybe attract clientele that are expecting your prices to be higher, all that type of stuff? I don't know anything about, I wouldn't say necessarily copy. That's not one of my strengths. Um, or keywords. Or, or like, even the keywords. Yeah. Just, 
I think about when I think about copywriting, like baking specific keywords like into your copy or anything like that. And if that's not a strategy that you took, that's totally fine. I mean, I bake them in for the purposes of SEO, but not yeah. necessarily for client attraction. So I can't think of anything on that front, but like I have client testimonials, right? And you better believe that the ones from the big name companies that people are going to recognize are on the front page. Yes. Um, I incorporate logos from those. A lot of companies will tell you, you can't use our logo in your marketing like, or show our affiliation or whatever, because they don't want you to, they don't want to imply that they're endorsing you. Interesting. And so on my webpage, I just have the logos. I don't have it like endorsed by or okay. clients include, like I, there's nothing. It's just the logos. Okay. So I think that seeing those logos, seeing those testimonials from those clients also kind of helps set a tone for the quality of work and what the prices are. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, when you think about like Meta, Microsoft, Samsung, Marriott, like if any of any company comes through to your website and sees those logos on your website, they're like, okay, if they're good enough for Microsoft, then, you know, these, this is someone that I want to invest in. And like you said, a lot of the time, even when you were talking about Upwork, clients, not all clients are only going to make their decision based off of the budget. In fact, sometimes it is a red flag to a potential client if your rates are too low. So maybe that is another thing that like has helped position you is your pricing. So I'm curious about that, if you have any insight. Yeah. So I used to keep pricing right on my page, but when I launched my course for presentation designers, I effectively said, I have all this traffic. Like if I stop throttling it for me, like I can figure out based on what somebody says, right? Or I can kind of pick and choose. And then I can refer all these other leads that I don't have time for to these other presentation designers I know who are trying to start their businesses. Yeah. So I've taken all the pricing off, but I did used to have it in order to kind of like just reduce the number of emails that I was having to Mm -hmm. reply to. I will tell you this, um, for SEO purposes, you want all those inquiries coming through to your site. It sends a good message to Google. So I would only recommend putting my pricing up there if you are already ranking and getting traffic that way. If not, it could be a deterrent because yeah. if people are going to the page, seeing the price and being like, it's too expensive and bouncing off your page, Google's like, oh, this isn't the right search results yeah. for this term. You're basically teaching Google so, how to help you help other people find your site. And I'm in total agreement with you about pricing on the site versus not. I know that's one of the big contentions between, you know, brand designers. And I even saw like a, a a reel the other day that was talking about like, oh, like where's all the pricing transparency? Like it's not ethical to hide your prices from clients. And like, I totally respect where that person is coming from, but every type of business is different. And for my business specifically, I noticed a dip in inquiries when I had pricing even behind an email capture. Um, I used to do an investment guide with that and I removed all of that and I've just found it a lot easier to not anchor the client to a starting at price range. And I do have a, a filter in an email, automated email that res- that sends out to all inquiries saying that our projects are a four or five figure investments. So very, very broad range, not specific, but letting someone know like, this is not going to be like a $50 service. So I found that that has worked really well and it still does help filter through like some clients that just decide not to get on a call after seeing that, which is helpful to me and them. So I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it, but I don't think that there's anything inherently unethical about not including prices on 
a site and maybe people will come for me for that, which is totally fine. Everyone's business and clientele are going to react in different ways. But yeah, we're in the same boat. I think that's what matters the most, right? Is is what who is your clientele and what is their perspective? If you yeah. have a client who goes to the page and they want to see a price and they're only going to talk to people who they can already see the price, they're kind of self-selecting there. And so yeah. is it really right or wrong? I think like unless you're misleading people somehow, I don't think it's unethical. No, not I, at it's, all. Yeah. It's not a, you're going to come buy this service. It's not buying a cup or a water bottle, right? It's it's a service and a person and an interaction is going to dictate all of that, right? Is it the right fit even? So just putting your prices out there. Right. It's the same thing I about me asking you. To decide for themselves. A hundred percent. I think it's similar to me asking you, like, how much does a presentation design cost? And you're like, okay, well, I need to know a ton of more stuff. How many pages are we talking? What type of probably like graphics and illustrations, data visualization, like how much copy, like all of that type of stuff. It's like someone coming to you, at, like if you're a home builder and saying, I want a house, how much, how much does it cost? It's like, well, we actually need to have a sit down conversation. It's like, do you want a one bedroom? Do you want a mobile home? Do you want like a mansion, you know? And I feel like the same is true for yeah. service providers like us who create custom proposals for each client. It's actually, I feel like more ethical to have a conversation with the client about their needs first and then price the project appropriately according to the value that the client is potentially hoping to see from the project. And to just assume that everyone is going to fall into the same bucket. And that's not to say like template shops, put your prices on your template shops. Digital products, put your prices out there. Productized services, put your prices out there. If you have a VIP day, maybe you want to do a checkout on your website and you want to have an automated like lead flow where people pay or like a consultation or something. Those are great candidates for putting pricing on your website. But um, I'm glad that the conversation took us to that place because that's been something that's been on my mind, especially since seeing that reel. So don't let anyone shame you guys into putting (laughs) pricing on your websites. And if that's you listening and you are very gung-ho about including pricing on your websites, I still love you. I support you. I love that. I think that, you know, whatever is best for you and your clients is best for you. I would love to ask just a couple of follow-up questions to that question about positioning yourself as, you know, an expert and really capitalizing off of that SEO traffic. Well, you've already answered that you do refer out leads that aren't a good fit. Do you um, charge referral fees, and do you are you able to profit off of those leads, or is this more for your for your students? Yeah, I don't charge any referral fees, and I, yeah, I look at it as a value add to my yeah. students. So, yeah. in, in some ways, yes, you could say that it's paid, but not directly. But not directly. Yeah, I love that. There's certain. Um, yeah. And then also, how do you filter or pre-qualify the leads that you do generate? Just because I know that you don't have the pricing on your website. Yeah. So for me, there are really kind of two paths, right? Is this a client I'm interested in taking on? And there are like a list of particular clients. If they say certain, they're looking for certain things that I'll say, I want that one. Or honestly, if it's like a really big name brand, <laughs> like yeah. when it was TikTok, I was like, yeah, I'm going to respond to that. Not wow. Wait, that's amazing. Nothing came of it. Oh, <laughs> Nothing came it. of it, but it's but still kind of fun. But the fact that they even yeah. reached out and that you were on their radar is a huge win. I think that's amazing. Yeah, 100%. And so what I do, if I'm keeping a lead, then I send them a message and just say, hey, here's my general availability and when I'm taking on new projects. And I'm typically only a week to two out. Presentations are typically a pretty quick project. Yeah. And so I'll say, here's my timeline and here's, here are my rates and project minimums. If this aligns with your budget and timing, 
here's a link to schedule some time. And I send them my Calendly link Mm -hmm. so they can book a meeting um, to talk through whatever they're trying to accomplish. um, And then I can provide them any more information that we may need to cover. So generally, people will just schedule a meeting. Yeah. There's not usually much of a discussion around pricing or anything. And then for the other leads that, you know, the ones I just can't keep because there are too many of them, we just forward those on. And so then that's up to whoever is receiving that to qualify them. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, they're not, I would say they're not all qualified. You can get a lot of like, hey, I'm a college student and or I'm working on a dissertation. You know, their budget isn't a corporate budget. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, that being said, I know people. <laughs> I yeah. know people at all phases working at all kinds of different. So I'm like, we can find the right person for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's so important to know who you don't serve in addition to who you do, do serve so that you can show up in that way and present yourself as this person that gets leads from TikTok. I mean, or well, not leads from TikTok. Literally, TikTok is your lead. Like, that is fantastic. Yeah. So I would love to shift into just like some just tips that you have for designers who are looking to start that kind of cold lead train from SEO that are non-referral, non-network based. If someone is interested in starting to use SEO for their lead gen strategy, what do you feel like are the first things to think about? And then if you have any other tips for optimizing your site for SEO, we would love to hear. Absolutely. So when it comes to kind of just getting started with SEO, I think that there are multiple things to think about. First, let's talk about just like your actual website itself. You're not a blog trying to produce millions of page views a month. You're one person trying to hone in and focus in on a particular type of client. So maybe you would you would be a WordPress web designer or brand designer or whatever your keywords are. Go to Uber Suggest and look those up and see kind of roughly what's the keyword difficulty of all of those related keywords that could match your brand um, and how you're positioning yourself and what your clients would search for. And then you also want to make sure that it's not too big or too small of a keyword. I say anywhere like from 100 to 500 is a good range of search volume for someone who's freelancing. And then anything, a keyword difficulty of less than 10 is actually pretty easy to rank for if you optimize your page right. Um, Optimizing your page right means that your site title includes your keywords. It means that you have it in your meta text. It means that you have it in an H1 title tag on your page. And then you've got it in the alt tags on any of your images that you might have on that page. And then just randomly sprinkled throughout the page. It's so funny because I always laugh with my students. I'm like, I spent months of this class to figure out that it's really five things you have to do. <laughs> that seems pretty simple. It's really that That simple. doesn't seem too It difficult. really is. People will come back in, in my course and they'll come back and they'll say, okay, but I read this article and I'm like, yeah, but you don't need millions of page views. You could go do all those things. It's not going to hurt you, but it's not fundamentally going to change the game for you either. Like all these tiny little interlinking, all this stuff. Like you're trying to rank your homepage. <laughs> So related to that, your page is never going to rank if you don't have backlinks from other sites. I was so going to ask about backlinks the, and blogging because I know in my very, very little SEO knowledge, I do know that that's very important. It is. And so you optimize your on-page SEO, but then backlinks from other sites. So if like you were quoted in an article on CNN and they would say, you know, 
by Jen, and then they would link back to your site. Then that's a backlink to your site. And so that's a thumbs up from CNN. Now, CNN has a different weight than adrianjohnston.com. And so how do you get these like really great links? I used Harrow when I started out, um, which is helperreporterout.com. You can go and check out their site and you can just subscribe to be a journalist, say, hey, I, I'm looking for a quote on this topic for my article. And you can go and be a contributor and then you get a digest every day of here's what people are looking for. You can scan them and say, oh, you know, I'm going to respond to this one. My recommendation on Hero is you could spend hours crafting the perfect response to CNN. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like it's a volume game and it's so hard for people, but like you got to set yourself a timer and say, I have 15 minutes to write this reply and then I'm sending it out, whatever I've got. Because if not, you won't end up doing anything because of how long it takes and not getting the results. Mm, so okay. I think that's super huge. But I think there's a whole other piece of SEO that we completely dismiss, forget about. And that is all of your social profiles, right? Like whatever you decide this keyword is that people are searching for, that should be what your title is on LinkedIn. It should be what your title is um, or in your bio on Instagram, Facebook. I've had people find me on Facebook. It's not a place you would think that someone would go and search, but they do. And they'll send messages through there. So make sure that you've got your title, whatever that keyword is, optimized across all of your pages so that people can find you wherever they happen to be searching. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's really huge. I found LinkedIn for me personally to be the best source of referrals and like leads as it relates to social channels. And I'm less active on LinkedIn and I don't use it at all. (laughs) That's with almost no effort. (laughs) Yeah. LinkedIn has been something that I feel like a lot of people have been talking about potentially utilizing. I have a mini minder um, in my program who's looking to work with more early stage startups and more people who are semi-corporate, semi-entrepreneurial. And we were talking about like her exploring what LinkedIn marketing could look like and content creation for LinkedIn, just because I feel like it's less saturated in terms of content marketing than other platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Facebook ads, that type of thing, or even blogs, email marketing. And it's not something that I have put a lot of effort into just because my clientele I know are using Instagram to market their own businesses. And more often than not, the place that they're going to find their own clients, they're also going to go to find people to work on or for their company because I'm the same way. I find all my brand photographers through Instagram, all my copywriters I find through Instagram. Um, So that's just kind of like where I've been focusing my energy. But it is really cool to hear from People like you, people like Leia from Arc Design Studio who are utilizing LinkedIn and seeing great results from it. So to wrap up our conversation, what is the most impactful thing, one thing that you want our audience to remember from this conversation as it relates to generating leads through SEO pretty passively, which sounds like the dream. <laughs> you know, I would say it's, uh, it really is a dream for me <laughs> as such an introvert. Um, I would say that it's not, it's not as hard as you think it is. It's not as hard. What we're trying to do as freelancers is not as difficult as like when you go to backlink go and you start like doing all this research on what does it mean to SEO optimize? It sounds so complicated. And because the people that they're teaching are people who are making tens of thousands of dollars a month in ad revenue, yeah. <laughs> meaning they need millions of patrons. And we just don't need that. We need a couple of hundred. And so if we 
really focus our efforts on what are the low difficulty, but decent, still low volume, really, keywords. We can optimize our sites and be really competitive in our own little niche. And with that comes that really targeted high quality traffic that works for you that you're not really doing anything for, right? Like I have to maintain, I keep looking at Harrow once every few months, I submit something now, but I don't have to do active work. Like I just kind of have to make sure I don't lose. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's coming for me, you know, but like. Yeah. Have you noticed your website traffic like increasing over time or does that like have more to do with the market and other like things that we don't have control over? It's interesting. So because I also have a presentation design course, I do have some like blog posts and things optimized for those keywords where other presentation designers would be searching and looking for help. So yeah, my volume has increased. And even the keywords that I rank for, like we talked about the term presentation designer earlier is a much broader, higher volume keyword that I rank for. It doesn't necessarily mean more leads because it's not targeted to lead traffic, right? It's people, how do I become a presentation designer? What is a presentation designer? How much do presentation designers make? Like it's it's such a broad term. So yeah, there's definitely more traffic, but not necessarily more leads. Got it. But that ranking for those additional keywords doesn't hurt either. Right. I think that, you know, more traffic, it's like, is there such thing as too much traffic? Unless you're getting like really like leads that are unfit for you. I think that that is fantastic. And especially being able to track that. And this is all so encouraging, especially when you're talking about how this doesn't have to be as difficult or expensive or complicated as the internet makes SEO seem. And this is just extremely encouraging for anyone out there like myself who is really wanting to invest a little bit of time to potentially see a lot of return on that time in the form of leads that might not have found you otherwise due to you, like myself, putting more focus on social and content marketing, email, etc. So I'm just very excited about this. And I hope everyone listening also is inspired to take a look at your SEO and see what type of tweaks you can make. Um, I think one of the things that I was going to mention too, in terms of being able to track like KPIs through your um, website traffic is that like, you're able to see it working you know, in real time, you'll be able to see your website traffic increasing due to the subtle shifts and changes that you're making, even in doing very light keyword research, keyword strategy, baking those keywords throughout your site. You know, website traffic has never really been a KPI that I have really tracked or put a lot of stock in just because I don't get a lot of leads through that space. But that should be something that I'm excited about because it means that there's opportunity there to capture traffic and capture leads that I might not be otherwise. Um, so if any of you out there are thinking like, oh, this is something that I want to like look into, but I don't really get leads through Google. It's like, maybe you could. And I feel like that's a really empowering thing to, to walk away from the conversation with. Absolutely. So I would love to know more about the Six Figure Presentation Designer, which is your signature program. What do you cover? Who is it for? If someone is curious to learn more, how would they find you? Perfect. So um, Six Figure Presentation Designer is a course and community that I put together. As part of my SEO efforts, I was doing a lot of hero responses and I started getting people coming to me saying, will you help me be a presentation designer too? <laughs> and things got out of hand really fast. And I was like, I got to figure <laughs> out a way to actually do this in a way that 
that helps people, right? Because it was like a bunch of one-off conversations. And then I don't know who I told what to. And I was like, I need to, during the pandemic, I was like, I need to find some structure to this. And so I put it together and it launched in 2020. And it's really for designers. So we're not teaching the basics of design. We're teaching presentations and PowerPoint to people who are already designers and saying, you know, I've used PowerPoint and was always comfortable with it. And it's a great niche. And so, yeah, I'd love to pursue that. I find all, I always laugh and you can appreciate this. All of my students are like, I hate website design. I'm like, we all do. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so like people who maybe tough. aren't, don't have that technical inclination, you know, yeah. and are just like, but I have this creative outlet and I need to find a way that works for me. So um, through the course, it's really focused on the marketing, the SEO, and then the business operations, right? Like how are you getting those clients um, and making sure that you're, you're finding the right clients, you're keeping the right clients, and that those are ongoing clients. Like, I just did some analysis. 87% of my revenue last year came from existing clients with an average of three and a half years that they've been clients. So wow. finding those clients and retaining them is super important. And obviously you're always, because you can't control what's going to happen with new clients. Or we talked about like the client that disappeared was MIA for a year. You're always kind of taking on new clients because you don't know who the next big client could be. You don't know when you could lose a big one. Um, and so it's important to kind of always be taking on new clients, I believe. But um, we go through all of that, you know. And then I think a huge part of, of any business is the growth piece, right? I can go and do these things today, but like I got to keep optimizing it if I really want to get somewhere. You can just get, you can flatline anywhere. And so, you know, every year we're talking about like raising our rates and I've got students who charge more than I do. And like, it's this amazing like community for all of us where you're like rising tides, lift all boats, you know, like everybody is like moving in the same direction and nobody's like undercharging or in any way, like diminishing what we do as presentation designers. So yeah, it's a really cool, it's really cool. Um, So if anybody's interested in presentation design, you can um, learn more about what we do at designingandthriving.com. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear from people even who are brand and web designers. I do have clients, like I said, who ask for referrals and things. So always happy to make new friends. Amazing. And if you guys are curious about following Adrienne on Instagram, you can find her at Adrienne um, with an I-E-N-N-E-B Johnston. And you can also find her at adriannejohnston.com and all of the links to her programs. I think you've got a couple of fun freebies as well for even for branded web designers, um, learning more about lead gen and learning more about presentation design. Even if you're a branded web designer and you you get requests for that sometimes, it might be a nice marketable skill to help set you apart, elevate your positioning, and also help you appeal to potentially higher paying clients who might also happen to need brand and web design as well. So you guys can go and take a look at those links in the show notes. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really love this conversation. I, I just really appreciate your, your willingness to share your secrets and to encourage our audience and myself that things don't have to be complicated. I mean, simplicity is my word for this year. And so I'm very much drawn to anything. Not that I want to take the easy route, but things that might seem scary and complicated don't have to be. And that totally aligns with my philosophy currently. So just want you to know that. And yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for your time. 
thank you so much for having me, Jen. This is fantastic. And it was great to get to talk to you. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm so glad that we get to meet. This podcast is so amazing for just like connecting to other designers and other like parallel industries. And like Adrian said, she's always referring people out, always sharing the love, which I think is so fantastic. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hop into our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash better brand designer to let us know what you think about this episode. You can also comment on our most recent reel over on Instagram at better podcast. Give us a rating or review on Spotify. It's as easy as tapping the five stars. If you want to give us five stars, you don't even need to write anything. And it really, really helps new designers find our podcast. So with all that being said, we will see you guys in next week's episode. Bye, Adrian. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Jen. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too, so share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air, or you want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. We'd love for you to join us. Search for Better the Brand Designer Podcast on Facebook. If you love these conversations between designer friends and would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash betterpodcast. And visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources. Special thanks to our producer, John, from Wayfair Recording Co. See you guys again next week.